0: This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Here's what's on the John Oakley Show podcast for Tuesday, August 25th, 2020. We talk about the need to support and rebuild business in Ontario. We discuss ongoing concerns around a safe back to school plan. And we hear from someone who thinks the new federal conservative leader might not be the best choice. Let's get it uh, set as well with Rocco Rossi, the CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, representing on 60,000 businesses in the province. Rocco, how you been?
1: Uh, I have been uh, okay. Many of my members, not so much. It's obviously an incredibly difficult time for, um, uh, for everyone, but... Um, the beginnings of uh, green shoots in lots of areas, and very excited about our um, national buy local uh, campaign that uh, comes to uh, crescendo this uh, this weekend with the Canada United uh, weekend.
0: I wanted to talk about those because they kind of dovetail with what I was talking about with people off the top and it was an email that prompted it from a business person downtown and said there's a general deterioration of downtown Toronto and it's created incredible stress and there's a burden being placed on local business owners because uh there are shelters in the area we we broached this with you last week on the panel yeah. and uh were you trying in this is the case up there at Mount Pleasant and Eglinton you want to be accommodating we understand homelessness is an issue and uh special uh, accommodation in a special situation, like at the Roehampton Hotel, so there's social distancing and all the rest. But the local business people are feeling that they're under siege now, and they're not getting any love from their local councillor or the city. Uh, are you hearing that from some of your business people that you represent? And uh, how do we best approach this?
1: Uh, it, it does come up, and look at it, at the at the heart of it is communications and making sure no one is taken by surprise because. As we discussed before, uh, Johnny, these are our big city issues um, that uh, we, we can't turn a blind eye to, that um, they're going to be somewhere. Uh, and, you know, we, we do have a, a duty to our fellow citizens and those less, uh, even less fortunate than, uh, than ourselves. Um, but it's got to be done with full information. It's got to be done with appropriate um, supports and follow-up, it's not a do it and forget about it afterwards and let people deal with it as as they may. Um, so that would always be kind of you know my approach to it and how we've tried to um, deal with it in the circumstances where it where it comes up for our members.
0: All right. Again, with Rocco Rossi, he heads the Ontario Chamber of Commerce. And again, uh, this weekend is something that is uh, taking place from the 28th to 30th of the month. Uh, Canadians across the country invited to come together to show their support for businesses in their community by shopping and dining local during the Canada United weekend, which is why I raise this in part, too, because I I don't want to deter people from going downtown and uh, frequenting these neighbourhoods and patronising their businesses. So tell me about this Canada United weekend. How are you going to entice people to get out and do this, or do we just need to reinforce the idea it's important to buy and shop local?
1: Well, we have been reinforcing that um, that message of uh, the importance of buying local, but we're we're going to put a little extra spice into it, a little sizzle on the steak, if you will. Um, RBC has very generously put up uh, 25 cash prizes of $10,000 each. Um, so if you uh, buy local, dine local, enter online uh, this weekend only, you uh, you get a sweepstakes chance of winning one of those $25,000, $10,000 uh, prizes. No uh, purchase is, is technically required, but we certainly hope that, um, that you will. More information... Uh, and conditions at gocanadaunited.ca. Uh, we also would really encourage people to share their uh, love of local. Share where you got your first job. Share that restaurant uh, where you go for those special occasions, where you buy that special something for your special someone, and hashtag it Canada United. And each time that happens, um, uh, RBC and the partners have been kicking in $0.05 cents into a fund uh, that's now growing close to $2 million. And we hope to do significantly uh, better that then we'll be able to uh, give out up to $5,000 grants to small local businesses to help them defray PPE costs and costs of reopening safely. So a win-win-win all over and one of the other partners within uh, at uh, Cadillac Fairview, if you shop in, uh, in the stores in their malls uh, over the course of this weekend, they have um, 50 prizes of $5,000 shopping sprees. So you can do well and do good at the same time on the Canada United uh, weekend. And we're thrilled that Over 30 municipalities across the province and across the country have already joined in and officially proclaimed the weekend as Canada United Weekend.
0: All right. Full of special offers and promotions, as you say. Uh, You log on online and could stand to score 25, any one of the 25 of $10,000 prizes. On another matter, Rocco, got to ask you because I know you've got something, the Ontario Economic Series that you're launching in the fall. It's going to be something that will be virtual this time around, but you've got a big mucky muck, Nobel Prize laureate and former World Bank Chief Economist. Joseph Stiglitz is going to be a, a party to that. Explain what this is all about and what his involvement might be.
1: Well, we're absolutely thrilled. I mean, for many, many years, the signature event for the Ontario Chamber of Commerce in the fall has been a a three-day CONFAB where we bring leaders from uh, politics, academe, business, uh, the not-for-profit sector, and, uh, and discuss the weighty issues of, uh, of the day and come up with policy ideas that set the tone for our advocacy with governments at the provincial and federal level. This year, as you point out, we can't do that in person, so... We're doing a series of virtual events over the course of the fall, and the very first one is September fifteenth. And we've been we're absolutely thrilled to get Joe Stiglitz from Columbia. Um, he's someone when I was a, a student uh, had a chance to listen to him um, lecture at Columbia, and not only is he brilliant, uh, but he's a phenomenal speaker. Uh, And one of his areas of of research and speciality is the whole issue of globalization. Um, So very much looking forward to that discussion. He'll be speaking. There'll be a moderated discussion. And then afterwards, we're going to have an hour uh, where the people who attend will go into breakout sessions with consul generals, ambassadors, trade officials from around the world to really dive into this key issue. Because even before the pandemic, we saw the rise of protectionism, the war between China and the U.S. And for a country like Canada that's so dependent on trade, really important that, that we keep those avenues and that framework for trade uh, globally open, we just we just won a very important case for softwood lumber at the WTO, and uh, Stiglitz is going to set the table for that. Tickets for that are going to go on sale starting Friday. They'll be fifty bucks for members of um, of uh, chambers, boards of trade, uh, and seventy five bucks for uh, non members. You're going to be smarter just showing up and listening to
2: Stiglitz.
0: I'd be curious to know. I mean, globalization is in some quarters getting a bad rap because it tends to export jobs too. So there is protectionism, as you say. We see that in America. It's become one of the talking points in the current campaign. Uh, But apart from that, you know, I've got to ask you in passing here now as we uh, are about to leave Rocco. Okay, Stiglitz is there and uh, you're going to bandy about innovative ideas trying to generate solutions and achieve greater prosperity anything ever come of these confabs or are they just glorified ted talks and everybody feels swell about themselves but anything really concrete come about as a result
1: Uh, i think lots of concrete policy have followed i mean each of the the summits we've had have really informed the advocacy that uh, the ontario chamber has brought to governments and you know we can point to a dozen pieces of of legislation over the last two years that have been influenced and changed um, by work done at the earlier summits and that we hope uh, will continue through our work uh, in the economic series.
0: All right. Well, uh, I wish you the best, as you say. Uh, where do people then sign on for tickets and the like?
1: Sure. Uh, more information at OCC.ca. Ontario Economic Series.
0: Okay fair enough always a pleasure Rocco Rossi heads the Ontario Chamber of Commerce and he's a friend of the Oakley Show. Stay well my friend.
1: Thanks Johnny you stay safe as my friend says stay positive and test negative.
0: Uh, Kids going back to school myriad concerns surrounding that uh, the various health protocols that must be strictly adhered to the issue of masks, I mean, it's all well and good to say, you know, the kid should be wearing masks, whether or not it's appropriate from junior kindergarten right on through till the senior years or uh, you allow kids up until grade four not to have to wear masks. But the number of masks themselves, as somebody was poignantly pointing out, you can't just ask like a kid to wear one shirt to school all the time. So let's find out uh, where we are as far as those issues are concerns are concerned. Joining us on the line right now, Dr. Joe Vipond. Uh, He's with Masks for Canada and also a physician at Rocky View General in Calgary. Dr. Vipond, good to have you on the Oakley Show in Toronto. Good afternoon.
2: Thanks for your interest in this. It's uh, great to keep talking about it.
0: Well, tell me about the situation with kids going back to school. I mean, uh, nobody's really uh, addressed the issue of how many masks might be required and who would supply all of those and so on and so forth. Uh, So weigh in on that if you would.
2: Well, in Alberta, our government is gonna be providing two masks per student. Um, But unfortunately those masks aren't gonna be available from what I hear rumors on the internet on on, on day one. So I guess we're in the same situation as Ontario is. Um, The fact is that a, a mask costs about $5 for a fabric mask. And I presume most parents are looking at fabric masks rather than the disposable kind. Um, And you probably do need a a series of them because one of the things we know about masks is we don't want the kids to be wearing them if they're dirty and we don't want them to be wearing them if they're moist, uh, if they get uh, moistly talking, as you know. Um, So that means they have to have a a collection of masks, one that's being washed, one that's uh, um, being worn, and probably a backup one uh, at the minimum.
0: Well, I was just doing the math roughly in my head. At $5 a copy, you got 700,000 students roughly in the province. But uh, if you sense that maybe 30% might stay home, that still leaves, uh, you know, the 70%. So you're talking about 5, $500,000 at $5 a copy. It's going to be cost prohibitive. Who should pick up the cost?
2: Uh, you know, I, I think that's a good point because equity is always an issue when we talk about these things, and we expect our, our citizens to... To to wear these masks, and and how are we going to ensure that those people that maybe are barely affording food on the table, especially in this time when people are losing their jobs, um, uh, how are they going to afford these masks? So that's that's something that needs to be addressed.
0: All right. Uh, Well, the province says, you know, they've made money available here in Ontario anyway uh, for PPE, and uh, we'll see if that extends out far enough. When it comes to the issue of age appropriateness, uh, there has been some debate where the province said, Kids up until grade four don't need to wear a mask. The Toronto District Board has gone on its own to say uh, everyone's going to have to wear the mandatory.
2: I think it's important um, because the more we're learning about transmission among kids, we know that kids can certainly harbor the virus and can uh, likely be important transmitters of the virus. So the 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 reality is 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 none of us have been very good at wearing masks. None of us prior to you know march of this year was was ever wearing a mask and so adults have had to learn this and now kids are going to have to learn this kids can do amazing things kids learn how to brush their teeth kids learn how to wash their hands kids learn um, all sorts of things and math is just going to be another uh, aspect of being a part of society and i have faith that the majority of kids are going to do a good job and we don't have to fuss too much if kids aren't doing it perfectly. Um, there, we shouldn't be striving for perfection all the time. And, and, and we should make allowances for mistakes that, that uh, kids are going to make in the same way that we're seeing adults making those mistakes in the malls and in the restaurants.
0: So, Dr. Vipon, I mean, the kids wearing the masks, this is, uh, I guess, ostensibly to prevent them, as you say, speaking moistly in the direction of somebody else, and uh, therefore they might spread the contagion. The HVAC systems in schools, uh, could droplets be spread through those HVAC systems as readily as they may be from person to person?
2: This is uh, that that dangerous talk of topic of airborne versus droplet, which drives the um, the infectious disease and public health people nutty that we're still having this discussion. Um, I think the reality is, is there's very little black and white in anything in science and that just like many things. Um, this differentiation between droplets and, and, you know, only going two metres away from you versus airborne and, and being more in and around in the, in the atmosphere of a room is a bit of a, a false dichotomy. And there's probably uh, a, a vast area of grey in between in that there's, there's probably a lot of droplets and there's probably uh, a, a component of, of spreading around. The most dangerous situation, I think, when we talk about this, is being in a poorly ventilated place for a long time. It probably doesn't make that much of a difference if you're walking by somebody in a, in a mall and are, um, and they happen to be you know, breathing out the virus and, and you, you're barely having contact with them versus sitting two metres from them in a desk for a prolonged period of time. Um, and so... I do think that we need to be talking about ventilation more. I do think we need to be having strong discussions about maximizing the physical distance between people. And I think the masks will be playing a vital role in keeping not only virus from getting into people, but even if it does enter into them, keeping a viral load Low, so that the uh, amount of, of infection that uh, it rips through people is is uh, is smaller. We know that the amount of virus you're exposed to does have a an influence on how, how sick you're going to get.
0: Again, with Dr. Joe Vipond with Masks for Canada and a physician at Rocky View uh, General in Calgary. We heard on the news just completed that uh, there are bus drivers and their union uniform. Very concerned because some of these are elderly people and uh, most susceptible as we know. How many kids will be on a bus? What is safe? Uh, Nobody seems to have the right answer in that regard. I mean, Is it a concern, a legitimate concern for not just the drivers but the kids themselves?
2: yeah generally we know that kids don't get as 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 sick as as adults and especially as older adults so uh but if there's a a certain critical mass of kids getting sick though even if it's a small percentage those those few kids it's going to be an issue um i think the key in, in these situations i think is putting as many layers of safety between um uh the the ability to get the virus and and preventing that virus and so those layers of safety for on a bus would be ventilation so if the weather allows it let's let's have the windows open um let's make sure there's good air circulation in there uh masks i think are key and and trying to keep as much distance between um the the driver and, and everyone else and there may be some drivers um that have chronic illnesses or 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 their age specifically would mean that they're they're maybe not the ideal person for for that job. We may be needing to to look to have um, uh, other opportunities for them rather than putting themselves in a higher-risk situation.
0: Finally, I want to ask you about testing because there had been suggestions that perhaps we could test the kids, you know, before they go into school. But given that uh, you know, these things are ephemeral, sometimes the test may show negative and tense and so on and so forth. So there's talk of now yeah. saliva testing for school kids because the turnaround's far more immediate. It's about a twenty four hour window and it's Health Canada hasn't green-lit uh, anything along those lines. In the U.S., they have that. Uh, ironically, there are some Canadian companies that I guess are exporting the kits to the U.S. of A. Do you think this might be somewhat of a game-changer and important to implement?
2: I mean, my, my concern is we really need to know what the characteristics of the tests are. If you have a test that is only picking up 80% of infections, so say, you know, of the, of the 100 kids that have the infection, only 80 of them will test positive or vice versa is not very specific. So that uh, 100 people that, that don't have the infection, may, maybe 20 people will be testing falsely positive. If, if those ki- test characteristics aren't very good and if the prevalence in the population is pretty low, you're going to have more people testing positive um, than are actually positive because they'll be false positive. And you may conversely have a lot of people that are truly positive that are testing negative. Um, and that can really muddy the waters. So it can give you a false sense of, of, uh, of comfort. So we really need to very um, uh, have a very good understanding of those test characteristics and understand with the prevalence in the population as to how it's going to affect our interpretation of those results. Because the, I think the worst uh, thing that we could be is, is falsely reassured um, or, or missing a bunch of, of, uh, of sick people. Um, so, yeah, it's it's some complicated public health issues that I'm sure our, our, our public health specialists will, will wrap their heads around and make a good decision on.
0: Well, we're hoping obviously with the kids, the imminent return to school, whether it's on the 15th of September, or the 22nd, as is the timeline here for most boards in Ontario. But, uh, you know, to ask you finally, I mean, nothing is ever going to be bulletproof until I guess even a vaccine, they say may not be entirely. But uh, would you say that wearing of masks, social distancing, the hand washing and uh, I guess contact tracing, all of the above if strictly adhered to, uh, we minimize the risk and we're probably as good as we're going to do in the near future, good to go back to school.
2: Yeah, you nailed it on the head. The idea is, is we need to have as many layers of protection um, as we can get, and you you pretty much nailed them all. I would just add ventilation in there too. We need to have good ventilation. Some of these older schools, you know, don't have particularly good HVAC systems, and we do need to have uh, a constant circula- circulation of air. But just like layer upon layer upon layer, use our gyms for, for teaching. Let's teach outdoors when we can. Let's be creative about um, about the uh, the pedagogical. Um, resources we're throwing at these kids, uh, so that they they have a good, safe reentry into the schools.
0: Well, the premier here in Ontario said as much uh, during September and October, while it's still, you know, relatively uh, easy to do. So you can have outdoor classes.
2: Canadians are
1: losing their jobs, their homes, and their hope. Even before the
0: pandemic,
1: half of Canadian families were just one surprise two hundred dollar expense away from not being able to pay their rent or their bills. Now millions of Canadians are barely getting by. I know how many of you are more concerned about the future than ever before. My family and I feel the same way.
0: Well, he says he's going to fight for Canadians. That was Aaron O'Toole his press conference earlier today. Uh, he was stressing that he's a fighter. Uh, you're going to hear a lot of liberals spin about me. Don't buy it, is what he said. Uh, he also th- said Western alienation is a threat to Canadian unity. And if you believe in peace, order, and ethical good government, you should vote conservative. Uh, Well, not everybody is bullish on the message that Erin O'Toole has presented early uh, in the going as the new leader of the CPC. As a matter of fact, one-time candidate for the leadership of that party last go round, Maxime Bernier, who now leads the People's Party of Canada, has been somewhat critical, calling him basically a red Tory and liberal light. Uh, Maxime Bernier has joined the Oakley Show at Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Mr. Bernier, good to have you back on the show. Good afternoon.
3: Thank you very much. I'm very pleased to be with you.
0: So uh, how is Aaron O'Toole, a red Tory or liberal light exactly?
3: Well, first of all, you know, he's speaking like Liberals. He said he will want to have more diversity in the Conservative Party of Canada. Uh, that's okay because uh, it, it's important. But the most important is you must work with people that are competent and having good people, uh, what, whatever their race or 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 their color will be. It's not it's not important. He must work for all Canadians. And when he said that he, he uh, want to have a plan for Western alienation. Uh, that's his job, to have a plan, but he doesn't have any plan. You just have to uh, look at the equalization formula, being less generous. That formula is unfair. You must just have to uh, not sign the Paris Accord. (laughs) He he won't say that. So he has the same platform on these two files, like the Liberals. You know, he wants more regulation, uh, more green regulations. On uh, on Canadians to fight climate change. He believes in the Paris. He believes in the Paris Accord. Uh, he won't touch the equalization formula to be sure to have a, a formula that would be less generous and fair for every province, including my own province in Quebec. So, uh, on policy side, he's a liberal light, and that's why I said that a lot of real conservatives. Uh, will be disappointed and, uh, and we are opening our doors and they will come in our party because at the end we are the only real conservative uh, party in Canada right now.
0: Well, let me just challenge that for a second because I mean he's got a fifty-point plan, and included in that were some things that would be anathema to the liberals. I mean he's going to cancel the carbon tax, so he said only make the large industrial emitters pay. Uh, he's talking about re-implementing mandatory minimums for serious crimes. Uh, he would end the moratorium on coastal shipping on the west coast. Okay. I mean,
3: well, okay, for the first of first one, more regulation on. on uh, on emitters, uh, there's a cost there, and we all know that when you put regulation on businesses, at the end it's always consumers who's paying for that. So, a solution for climate change, it's more regulations and another another, another different tax. But at the end, you know, for us, there's no climate emergency. And he, he believes in climate emergency. Uh, we, don't, we, we don't have to do that, you know. We just have to be focused on what is more important for, for our country. It's uh, economic, economic growth. And we don't have that. We need to have more private investment, not less with more taxes, So, uh, you know, I I, I don't believe that um, he has a conservative solution for that.
0: Well, all right. The climate emergency, you know, it's kind of interesting because uh, while you say there is none and uh, that can be, I guess, argued in conservative circles, the truth is that it seems Canadians, as the polls show, favor some kind of action on that. So isn't he just being pragmatic by suggesting he'd at least stake out a position? Andrew Scheer did as much. Uh, It looks like everybody's now embracing or adopting that because they understand as part of the electoral calculus to win, especially in places like Vote Rich, Ontario and Quebec.
3: Yeah, but first of all, you know, the environment, it's a shared jurisdiction with provinces and let provinces deal with it. You know, in Quebec, you know, they have a cap-and-trade system, and that's why we don't have any carbon tax in Quebec. So let provinces deal with it and respect the Constitution. So we don't need to have another government that will impose more regulation. Ontario, they have regulations on on climate change. So why having more regulations at the federal level? your priorities are not, are not the ones that uh, are important for Canadians. The, when, he, when he was speaking about the jobs and, and being able for family to, to pay for their rent and, and, and live a decent life, we need to stimulate the economy. And the only way to stimulate the economy, is by private sector investment. His solution is more spending, more spending and more spending when we don't have any money. Our credit card is full so you know it's it's uh, it's unfair for the future generations it's irresponsible we will have to pay for these uh, spending right now and uh, it's the same solution of the Liberals that's why I call him and the Conservative Party right now a liberal light uh, party.
0: Again, with Maxime Bernier, leader of the People's Party of Canada. So the idea that, you know, we're drifting leftward anyway, that seems inevitable. And uh, after the prorogation, there there are big plans in the wind that uh, we're going to see some of these programs extended, perhaps even enshrined in a guaranteed basic income, so on and so forth. So isn't it prudent? I mean, if uh, somebody a Conservative wants to win and uh, gain any serious traction, get to that 40% of the uh, popular vote, (laughs) even though the vote's got to be efficient in the different regions of the country, and I cite again Ontario around the GTHA and in places like Quebec as well, uh, don't they have to tack to the centre and put some water in their wine? I mean, I guess my question, Mr. Bernier, is can true blue ever win again in this country?
3: Yes, if, if they're true blue, like you just said, if they if they speak about real conservative values, real free market values, and that's the most important, you know, uh, what is the goal to vote for the conservative? And having at the end, uh, liberals' uh, policy and a, a liberal platform. So that's that's what we will have. O'Toole said that is a true a blue conservative to win the the leadership of the conservative party, and and but that must. That was not the real O'Toole. Uh, He was a candidate when I was a candidate in 2017, and the real O'Toole is a a red Tory, a progressive. And, you know, just look at his press conference that he did and also the first speech that he did early uh, Monday morning when he said, you know, uh, he didn't say any word about uh, Alberta and uh, the, the, the alienation coming from the West. It was not in his speech. And now at the press conference, it's supposed to be important. And the solution is there. Just respect our constitution. And that's it, you know, change the equalization formula. I was in New Brunswick, and I delivered a speech at the last campaign, and I said, you know, it's important to review the equalization formula. And the journalist said to me, Mr. Bernie, 40% of our budget, our provincial budget, is coming from the equalization formula, from the, from the federal government. So if I understand you, you want to cut 40% of our budget in, in, uh, in New Brunswick? I said yes and no yes but no because we're going to do that on a transition period we're going to have a, a less generous equalization formula that will give the right incentive to your province to develop your natural resources you have a lot of natural resources and you don't develop that so you'll have the right incentive to do that it's unfair that alberta and western canada is paying for that we need to change that model we need to have a discussion about, about it but the conservative and, and the liberals and the NDP, they don't want to speak about that and that's the core of the western alienation uh, challenge that we're having right now so if you're a real conservative speak about real conservative values but also walk the talk and have the policies for that
0: yeah well certainly i mean he departs from the liberal dogma that uh, he wants to export liquid natural gas and uh, exploit our resources but let me just leave that aside again with maxime bernier because i've got tight time here but uh you know, when it comes to his social conservative cred, uh, how do you reconcile that? With what he said today at his news conference, I have a record of always voting for rights, for women's rights, LGBTQ rights. Do you have an issue with any of that?
3: No, no, it's, it, it, it's okay. What, a, what is the policy of the PPC on that? It must be a free vote on all that. But the most important, you must allow your MP to table a bill on any subject. You know, that's the, the right of a member of parliament to table a bill in the House. But uh, that's not his position. He doesn't want any he doesn't want any discussion on on uh, late term abortion and things like that. He didn't he won't allow his MPs to table a bill on that. For me, you know, it's we don't have a policy on that. It's if something somebody wants to a bill on any subject, that will be their bill, that will be their decision. And if it's important for that MP, for his or her constituents, uh, they, they will have the right to do that and it will be a free vote. So that's respecting the democracy. But uh, personally, you know, you can have people who believe in, uh, in uh, being uh, open to gay rights and all that. And that's, that's my position on that. I've always been like him. But the the real question is, can he allow a debate on other issues uh, uh, in the House? And that's that's the, the question, and I think he won't.
0: Well, yeah, you know, it's great in theory, but uh, the practicality of real politic is that, you know, you, you mentioned the abortion issue. You've seen this historically with the right wing in Canada or conservative parties. That's kryptonite. As soon as you open up that debate, as legitimate as it may be, given that we don't have an actual law hard and fast on the books, uh, nobody wants to go near that one. And they think it's already been more or less litigated in the country. Uh, Mr. Bernier, I've got to ask you finally, the People's Party, uh, which you represent, is that still a thing? I mean, is that a going concern? Because you lost your own riding in the Bose. Uh What is your status going forward uh, relative to the party as it's uh, in general?
3: Well, you know, it's going very well. You know, for we, we created that party last year and, you know, we did better than the Green Party. It took 20 years and six elections for the Green Party to have more than 1.6% of the votes. And we did that in our first year. So now we're going. We're the only party who didn't have any deficit after the last election. We were able to do an election without uh, without any deficit at the end. We had we have a surplus of about half a million dollars in bank. We are able to raise money. We have a lot of volunteers across the country, so we will be ready for the next election. It will be a little bit uh, challenging for us if the election is this fall. Uh, we need a little bit more time because our goal is to have 338 candidates in every riding. And um, But if we have an election this spring, we'll be 200 percent ready. We'll have candidates in every riding. And for myself... I will uh, pick a riding where, where I have the most uh, chances to win. It can be back in Bowes or it can be in a riding in Ontario or uh, we'll see, I'll decide that uh, this fall.
0: All right, uh, and there's no qualms. I mean, the accusation is that you'll only serve to drain votes away from the Conservative Party of Canada uh, at certain margins. Uh, how do you respond to that? <laughs>
3: you know, I'm saying to people, you know, vote for what you believe vote for your ideas don't uh, vote against something you know we look at our platform read our platform and if you believe in freedom if you believe in, in in individual freedom and personal responsibility and fairness and respect we are doing politics differently you're right because you said you know it can be difficult to do politics differently to be able to uh, to win the debate but i don't think so you don't need to be in government sometimes to change and, and having a huge impact. Just look at the past, uh, the Reform Party. The Reform Party with President Manning, they were the official opposition. And at that time, they were successful because the Trudeau, uh, not the Trudeau, sorry, the Chrétien and Martin government, they were balancing the budget, and we had a fiscal responsible government. Because they had in front of us the Reform Party that was a principal uh, alternative and so what I'm saying, you don't need to be in government sometime to change things. And so, But we need to be there. We need uh, to have the support of people, to have some MPs and candidates that will be elected to have that debate and, and to be and to create that debate. That's the most important. We are there to debate about what we believe, and we think that we have the best ideas. So we were ready to debate, and I hope that the election will be next spring, and you, we, we, you can be surprised. But, you know, uh, we are at 4% in the poll right now. The Green Party is at 6%. So uh, we will grow. We have, we have a lot of room to grow, and I'm very uh, optimistic for our future.
0: Well, it'll be interesting. Uh, we'll present you as the conscience of the commons. Uh, <laughs> we'll speak again, I'm sure, uh, at that occasion, if in fact that's the election timeline. Uh, Mr. Bernier, good to have you on the program. As always, stay well. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. You, Maxime Bernier, again, is the leader of the People's Party of Canada, and uh, suggesting his heretofore, I guess, colleague, uh, Aaron O'Toole's red Tory and liberal light. This has been the John Oakley Show podcast for Tuesday, August 25th, 2020. You can listen live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 Eastern, turn the dial to 640, listen live at 640toronto.com, or search the name John Oakley on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.